Ephesians chapter number 2 is where we are reading. Begin in verse number 1 this morning. It says these words, it says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. And this is... The word of the Lord this morning. Last week we spent time talking about and discussing the idea that God is a just God. The idea of God's justice is justness, if you would. The fact is, God is just, and this fact, this truth, should give us pause especially when we see the, the sin that is in the world, the lawlessness that is in our land and in society. And when we are tempted to engage or indulge in the sin that is out there in this world, we should realize that our God is a just God. It should give us comfort when we see this craziness knowing that God is in control. God's justice will prevail. God will reward everyone according to their deeds. And God will punish those who rebel against Him. So this gives us fear. This gives us concern. This gives us pause. And yet at the same time, it gives us comfort. But along with God's justice, His justness, if you would, we must also reckon and deal with God's mercy. For in reality, justice and mercy go hand in hand. They go in tandem with each other. You cannot have justice unless you have mercy. And you cannot have mercy without a standard of what is right and wrong, a standard of what is 
just. If you remember from our text last week, Genesis 18, it was an example of God choosing to enact justice upon the lands of Sodom and Gomorrah for the sin. It was in their society. But yet at the same time, we also saw Abraham appealing not to the justice of God, but instead and indeed to His mercy. God knew the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah. He knew they were exceeding sinners as the Bible tells us. And then as Abraham asked, Lord, if there are not just 50 righteous people in the city, will You not spare the entire city? Who knows how many hundreds, thousands of individuals lived in that city, and yet Abraham is asking only for 50 righteous individuals. Of course, we know that he gets it all the way down. To ten, what is this other than an appeal for God to have mercy? For God to spare this city for the sake of so few individuals. And so when Abraham asked the question that we looked at last week, and I'll repeat it, it's here on your screen. Genesis 18.25 says, Far be it for you to do such a thing. You'll put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. And then he asked, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Is he not asking God in the middle of your justice and judgment? Is there not mercy as well? He is no doubt Abraham is pleading for the mercy of God upon the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Will not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Will do what is right? Will He not have mercy for the sake of such few individuals? Because God is merciful. God is a God of Great mercy. Moses takes the tablets of stone down from the mountain of God and he breaks them in his anger and his righteous indignation. God judges and punishes the people of Israel for their sin, for the golden calf that is erected, for their rebellion against God, for thinking that Moses was never coming back and we might as well worship this calf as the one who brought us out of Egypt. Moses goes back up to the mountain to get tablets of stone again and God says these words. Next is 34, verses 5-7, through The Lord descended in a cloud and He stood with Him there and He proclaimed the name of the Lord. God shows Moses His name. And what is His name? The Lord passed before Him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh. Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious. A God slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. The Lord merciful, gracious to us. 
It also says, but He will by no means clear the guilty. He will visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Mercy and justice going hand in hand. Our God is a merciful God. Our God is a gracious, compassionate, and a forgiving God. Our God is a God who delights and abounds in steadfast love and mercy towards each and every one of us. And we as believers should be grateful. Eternally grateful for the great mercy of our God. And so what does this mean for us this morning? Well, Let's look first of all at what mercy is. What is mercy? It's a word that's not uncommon in our language. Someone might tell us a very bad joke or do something that's very eye-rolling, whatever you want to say. We'll look at them and we'll say, Lord, have mercy. We might say that when we stumble upon something unpleasant, smell that knocks us off of our feet, turkey that's stuck in the refrigerator for years, like it was in the house that we were renting one time. Smell will knock you over and you say, Lord, have mercy, have mercy. We might ask for mercy when the WWE professional wrestler is about ready to jump off the top rope do His figure four on us or body slam or my wrestling terminology has slipped my mind here because <laughs> it's not good like it used to be in the days of Hulk Hogan and Macho Man Randy Savage, right? And here we are about to be pummeled and, and we say, have mercy, mercy, uncle. Whatever we say, we cry for mercy. We, we understand what mercy is in our Language, our vernacular. But what is this mercy that we really refer to? However, the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible says this about mercy. It says it is one of the most essential qualities of God. Specifically, it designates that quality in God by which He faithfully keeps His promises and He maintains His covenant relationship with His chosen people despite their unworthiness and their unfaithfulness. Did you hear that? He keeps His promises. He maintains His relationship with them with those who are His chosen ones, despite the fact that they are unworthy and they are unfaithful and they do not deserve God's love. Chooses to love them anyways. The biblical meaning of mercy is rich and complicated. It's evidenced by the fact that several Hebrew and Greek words are needed to comprehend the many-sided concept. There are many synonyms that we use throughout the Bible that describe the mercy of God, such as kindness, loving kindness, goodness, grace, favor, pity, compassion, and steadfast love. And these are just the name of few. Prominent in a concept of mercy is the compassionate disposition to forgive an offender or adversary and to help or spare him in his sorry plight. 
Again, one definition said, He chooses to love despite their unfaithfulness. This one says, He forgives and helps them despite their sorry, sorry plight. Finally, as you can see up here on the screen, definition says that the heart of the concept of the mercy is the love of God which is freely manifested in His gracious saving acts on behalf of those to whom He has pledged Himself in covenant relationship. It is the love of God which He freely, freely manifests in His gracious saving acts on behalf of those of whom He has pledged Himself to. The ones that God has looked at and said, I choose you. I want you. I desire a relationship with you. God gives us His love freely, graciously, lavishly. It is the love of God freely manifested in the saving acts that He does. A free and gracious loving kindness of God extended towards us simply and merely because He wanted to, because He chooses to. This is something that we must realize. We must come to grips with when it comes to mercy. The mercy of God is not something that you and I deserve or merit talked a few weeks ago about how our beliefs determine our behavior. Of course, I mentioned as a simple and easy illustration the fact that the church provides a paycheck and I take the paycheck and I cash the check and then I pay the bills and I pay the mortgage and, and I go home assuming and believing that the house is rightfully mine. Assuming that the car is rightfully mine. All because of my belief that the finances of the church cover the check. It's also because, and you do the same thing, because you feel that you earn the check that is given to you. You're the one that got up and for 40 hours last week assembled widgets in the factory, added taxes and income and numbers, whatever you do, taught children. And even that one that would not listen no matter how, hopefully no teachers feel that way this morning, may or may not have been me going to school. You see, we, we do this and we deserve, we earn what it is that we were given. We give work and, the, and in response we get a check and in response we get what we deserve. But God's mercy does not operate that way. His mercy is not extended that way. It is given to us freely. It is provided solely at the risk of the one who is extending that mercy. And it is mercy that oftentimes goes unrequited, but God freely gives it to us anyways. You do not deserve or earn the mercy and the goodness and the favor of God. In fact, Romans 9.15 says this, For He says to Moses, God says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. 
Paul is doing is quoting the words that God said to Moses. In Exodus 33 and 34, as I mentioned, when Moses goes back up to the mountain to receive the tablets after the rebellion and sinfulness of Israel, Moses asked God, can I see your glory? Can I see your goodness? God says, no, you can't because you will not live. But he does tell Moses those words that Paul quotes in Exodus 33, 19. He says, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Oh, I get it. You're Caucasian, you're white, you're American, you're man, you're college educated, you're a corporate CEO, you're a big shot. That's good for you, but let me tell you, none of that, none of that merits the mercy of God. Oh, I get it. You're here every Sunday, you're an elder, you're a deacon, you're a worship leader, you're a Sunday school teacher. Good for you. Thanks for doing it, by the way. But that does not merit God's mercy in your life. No, any mercy you have from God is simply because God has chosen to demonstrate, to give it to you. Paul goes on in Romans 9, verse 20. He says, Who are you, O man, to answer back to God? What is, will what is molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay? Make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use. What if God desiring to show His wrath and to make known His power has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of His glory for vessels of mercy which He has prepared beforehand for glory. Even us whom He has called not from the Jews only but also from the Gentiles. In other words, when it comes to God, we are nothing more than clay. We are nothing more than a vessel that God has chosen to put His hand upon. And who are we to look at God and to say, I deserve something better from you? Who are we to look at God and to say, yeah, go ahead and make me something great. I deserve it. I deserve to be a, a Michelangelo statue. Reality is we deserve nothing. I know you're a great person. You give to charity. You volunteer. You do all kinds of good work. And yet if I can tell you, you deserve nothing from God. But for God to pour His wrath and His anger out upon you, for God to send you straight to eternity without Him, and yet here we are, God has given us, freely lavished upon us, His mercy. He has not sprinkled it upon us, rather He has lavished it. 
This leads us to our second point here this morning. We have an understanding of what God's mercy is. Secondly, let's think about what is meant by saying God is rich in mercy. Let's think about what Paul is saying here in Ephesians chapter 2. And he says, God is rich in mercy. Ephesians 2 verse 4, but God being rich, rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us. Now to understand these words, we must go back to verse 1 and look at the context. Paul says there in verse 1, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You followed the course of this world. You followed the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind that were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Do you hear those words? You were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You followed the course of the world. Went along with everyone else in this world. You followed the prince of the power of the air, the same spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. I know you turn on your news and you say, I'd never. That was my child. I'd whoop them clear in the next week. Guess what? That same spirit lived inside of you. Yeah, I know you were scared of your mom and you didn't go out and do what some people do. At least I was because she would have whooped me in the next week. <laughs> but that's what lived in us. You, you lived in the passions of your flesh. You carried out the desires of your body and mind. You were by nature children of wrath. A discouraging list, a list that can get everyone down. Dumps if I walked around and told you that's who you are and that's all you are. Doesn't really make you feel better, but this was the truth of each and every one of us. Yeah, some of you have scars on your body that show how far you are away from God. Some of you may have a criminal record that show how far you're away from God. Some of you may have went to church three times a week every week and yet you were still just as far away from God. And there is nothing that we could do that could ever take us from this. We could never attend church enough. We could never be baptized enough. We could never uh, memorize enough Bible verses or do enough sword drills or go to enough youth camps or, or retreats or whatever else. There was nothing we could do. That's where verse 4 comes into play. But God, but God who is rich in mercy. This great conjunction, this, these two words that change everything. When we were without hope, when we were without a chance in this world, God reached down for us. God sent us a Savior. God looked at us and said, yes, I know you are doomed for eternity without me, but I love you and I am so full of mercy. 
that I will extend my grace towards you. Be surprised that the Greek word here for rich means rich, wealthy, abundant. Yeah, all those years in seminary to tell you that, right? Think about it. This is not, this is not someone who, who, who looks at us and says, I don't know if I can do that. Yes, there's been times in our life where Mary and I have went out on a date and we're looking at the menu and I'm thinking, boy, I really want her to have a nice time, but man, I really hope she doesn't order that. (laughs) Yes, it may have been at McDonald's and yes, it may. (laughs) Don't judge me. It's not what it's like here. It's God saying, no, I will give it to you all and then some. I will give you abundance. I am rich in mercy. If humanity in a desperate condition of sinfulness, the words, but God may conjure fear in anticipation of His wrath because that's the logical continuation of what Paul is saying. We were by nature children of wrath. God should have sent His lightning bolt and evaporated all of us. But God continues by explaining that He is rich in mercy to humanity in a deplorable condition. To further define mercy, Paul continues by stating that He loves humanity so very much. What a welcome relief. Did He forget their dilemma? Not at all. He knew what a sinful state we were in. But before Paul makes his main assertions regarding God's mercy based on love, Paul reminds the believers once again of their sinful past condition. This reminder is necessary to establish the need for God's mercy. We should have died. We should have been in eternity without Him. But Christ died in our stead in order we might have forgiveness of our sins and acceptance before God. This is mercy based on love. It's because God's great love, His great mercy that He has provided redemption for us. And notice what Paul says in verses 5 and 7, what His mercy has done for us even when we were dead in our trespasses. He's made us alive. Remember, we were dead in our trespasses in verse 1, but now we're alive. Even when we were once ruled by the prince of the power of the air, God has raised us up with Him. He has seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us. Here's the list. He made us alive. He raised us up with Christ. He seated us in the heavenly places in Christ. And He is going to show us for all eternity the immeasurable riches of His grace. Kindness towards us. And we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. 
we will have no less days to sing God's praise than when we have first begun. I think what John Newton is telling us there is that 10,000 years from now, it will be like day one, knowing and exploring and learning of the mercy and grace and riches of God's love towards us. Verses 8 and 9 reiterate what I have already said. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. The fact that you are alive in Christ, the fact that you are seated with Him in the heavenly places, the fact that God is going to show you His eternal riches of grace and glory, it is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of any word so that no one, no one can boast. Yeah, you can hang your degrees on the wall. Have more of them than a thermometer. Yes, you can take your giving receipt that you've gotten from the church. If not, they're in the bag, make sure you pick it up. You can parade that around and show everybody how much you give. Yes, you can count all the classes you've taught, all the songs you've sung, all of the whatever you have done. But when you stand before God, you will boast of nothing. You will boast of nothing but the fact that God has had mercy upon your life. Rich is one word to describe His mercy. Here are some more if you want. In 1 Peter 1 and 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to His great mercy. His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Lamentations 3, 23, 32, I should say, but though he caused grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. Great abundance. Luke 1, 7, 78 says, because of the tender mercy of our God, great, abundant, tender. I could go on and on with a list of adjectives that describe, describe the mercy of God. The fact remains, it is more than just a little drop, a smidgen, a little bit. Rather, it is great and abundant and lavishly displayed upon all who have pled to Him for mercy. You go on, Lamentations 3.23 tells us His mercy is new every morning psalm. 36 verse 5 tells us it is as high as the heaven. Psalm 119.64 tells us that His mercy fills the entire earth. Here's what I like. Micah 7 verse 18. Who is a God like you? It pardons iniquity and passes over transgression for the remnant of His inheritance. He does not retain His anger forever because He delights. He delights in steadfast love and mercy. He loves to give it. He loves to pour it out upon us. He delights in giving it to us. 
He delights in making us His treasured possession. God is not up there saying, I guess I'll give you another dose. I guess I'll give you. I mean, are you like me? I get up sometimes and I think, God, how can you ever have mercy on me again after what I have done? God's not up there saying, you are really testing my patience. No, He's looking at us and saying, I have new mercies for you every day. I have rich mercy for you every morning. I delight to give it to you. God is merciful. In fact, He is rich in mercy. Which leads me to my final point. What is our response? What is our response? We know that He's rich in mercy, compassion, steadfast love, faithfulness to us. So how should we live? based on the reality that God is rich in mercy. Well, let me give you three quick points and we'll be done. First of all, we should not take God's mercy for granted. We should not take His mercy for granted. Romans 2 tells us about His mercy. We're told in this chapter, Paul in chapter 1 has given us, scathing indictment over all the earth, saying all of us are guilty before God. Having condemned the whole world, Paul then turns his fire upon the Jew. He looks at the Jew and he says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man. Every one of you who judges, the Jew looked down at the Gentile and said, You deserve God's judgment says, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, do the very same thing. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. I've just laid it out for you in chapter 1. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Listen especially to verse 4. He says, Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Did you hear those words? Do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience? Do you presume on His mercy? Do you sit there and act like I deserve the mercy of God? I mean, I'm a pastor. I'm ordained. I've got reverend in my title. I deserve the mercy of God. Do you presume that the fact you got up this morning is because yesterday you went and ran 10 miles and you ate nothing but salad and lettuce and carrots and all this other good stuff? Is that really the reason you're here this morning or is it because... The mercy of God. God's mercy is extended towards us, freely given to us, and our response should never be to take it lightly, to despise, to presume on the riches of His mercy or kindness or forbearance and patience. Instead, our approach must be different. 
We're here because of that song we sang. It's your breath in our lungs. It's your mercy in our life. Instead of presuming on it, we should rejoice and magnify. Second point. We should rejoice in and we should magnify His mercy. We should rejoice in and magnify the mercy of God. Psalm 31, verse 7, I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love. I will rejoice and be glad in your mercy because you have seen my affliction. You have known the distress of my soul. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Psalm 18, verse 1, for He is good for His steadfast love for His mercy endures forever. Let Israel say, His mercy, His steadfast love endure forever. Let the house of Aaron say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, His steadfast love, His mercy endures forever. Lord, thank You for this day. Thank You for Your mercy today. Thank You for Your Loving kindness today. Thank you that I have another chance. Yes, there's 12 feet of snow on the ground. Thank you, God, that you have given me another day. Thank you for your mercy. Finally, my third point is this. We should not presume upon God's mercy, take it for granted. We should rejoice in it. Finally, we should practice mercy in our own lives. Practice it in our own lives. God has been merciful to us. Matthew 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful. For they will receive mercy. Remember the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus asked the question, who's the neighbor? Who's the neighbor to the man who is sick? Luke 10, verse 36, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Teacher said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, You go. You do likewise. Who can you show mercy in your life to? Who can you, who do you need to extend mercy to? Is it someone in your own family, someone that's in your house with you? Probably is, isn't it? All the wives said amen, it probably is. Is it the child that's getting on your last nerve and testing your patience? This is someone at work that you know doesn't deserve anything from you. Doesn't even deserve to have their job. See, we are so much like the priest and the Levite in the story of the Good Samaritan, aren't we? We come here on Sunday and we sing that song when He reached down His hand for me. He had to reach way down for me. I was lost and undone without God or His Son. When He reached down His hand for me. And then we run right to giants. We fail to see 
there's a store full of people that need God's mercy in their life. We leave the church and we cut off the person in front of us. Give them a wave uh, using all of our fingers and we say, get out of my way. Jesus said the one who receives mercy will be the one who gives mercy. When I think about what God did when He saved my life, when He turned my life around, I think in a class of 190-some students, the school I went to, how many of them are in jail, how many of them are broken, lives are broken, girl that I sat in homeroom with already by the time she graduated had been married and divorced other young ladies had already had a child and given it up for adoption and another had more than one abortion I look at my life and I realize what God has done for me and how he has had mercy upon me God, may I be an extension of your mercy to someone in my life. story was told of a mother who sought the pardon of her son from Napoleon. The emperor looked at the mother and said, Your son has committed his second offense and justice demands his death. Mother said, I don't ask for justice. I plead for mercy. Napoleon said, no, he does not deserve mercy. Mother said, sir, it would not be mercy if he deserved it. Mercy is all I ask for. Napoleon's heart was moved and he said, well then, I will have mercy. We don't deserve God's mercy and yet here we are. Thank you, God, for your great mercy for us. And let's pray this morning, shall we? Mercy flows like a river wide, and healing comes from your hands. Suffering children are safe in your arms. There is no one like you. There is none like you. No one else can touch my heart the way that you do. I could search for all eternity long. I would find there is no one like you, God. Thank you, God, for extending mercy upon me. Extending mercy upon our church. For extending mercy on all those who are here who know You as their Savior, Lord, may we never presume upon Your mercy. God, when we see a world that is in desperate need of You, may we be Your arms of mercy extended to them. May we grant mercy to the one in our life who deserves justice and judgment, I pray. If you're here this morning and you do not know Christ as your Savior, Remember what I said when I said you are not here because you're young and you're healthy and you're in shape and you had a good night's rest. You're here because God has had mercy upon you. 
He has brought you here today so that you might hear the good news that He loves you and that He gave His Son to die for your sins. I pray by the time you leave this morning that you will receive that gift of mercy. Christian, if you're here, don't don't ever get to the place where you just presume that God wants to give you His mercy. Every moment of your day, you should be thanking Him for His great mercy that He has extended towards you. Again, there's probably someone in your life who does not deserve your mercy. But you did not deserve God's mercy. He gave it to you. And I pray that you will be that person to give mercy. Pray that you will be that person that will extend God's mercy to that one in need of it. Lord, do this in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you stand together with us this morning? We're going to close with this.